This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We're talking about burning your bridges and we ended last week with this concept that, and the question is if you would write something, uh, what, what would you like people when they walk past your gravestone, your tombstone, what, what would be that inscription? He was a good man or she was a great lady. Didn't kill anyone. Hallelujah. You know, maybe, I don't know. But probably one of the greatest, um, somebody that has no rights, it's just a blank page. There's nothing to another at expense of self. It is uh, extending, advancing another's cause. Put it somewhere. We'll put it on the WhatsApp group. But so, last week we spoke about this, that James, in James 1 verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God. This is how he introduces himself. Second Peter 1 verse 1, Peter introduces him when he writes the letter. This is the introduction, the first words of the letter to a church or to a group of people. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. Jude 1 verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Titus 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus. Revelation 15 verse 3, Song of Moses, the servant of the Lord. David was a servant of his generation. And so you can go on and on and on. The greatest title wasn't apostle, reverend, bishop of the most, holy faith or whatever. It was simply to be a servant of God. I um, have a name, I have two names, and I was, for many years, I thought like, why would somebody call their children this name, and I'm going to say it now, but you're not allowed to tell anyone else, my second name. My first name is Josias, which is Joshua, and I inherited these names from my great-grandfather who was a, a preacher of the gospel. So he went around and preached the gospel in and out of season, weekends, that's what he did. So I have this massive legacy on my life because he served God. Skipped two generations of a grandfather and a father that said, no, they don't want to do that. But now I'm doing that just because of the grace or the calling of somebody else before me that served God. My second name is Serfas, which is the root word servant. And for many years I thought, like, why this? You know? And then I later realized in my life, but that's actually the greatest name I have is to be called servant. But when we say this, you and I have to be very honest that, and it's not your fault, it's not my fault, we've grown up in a culture where this is completely not happening in any way. We, we have not learned what it means to be servants. Because at the heart of servant is worship, is a worshiper. And so even in the Jewish culture, they had it built into their culture. So what you would do is, especially if you were the head of the home, three times a year you would go up to Jerusalem, and then you had to go and make a sacrifice there. So you had to go to the temple. You had to, if you were poor, take a dove, sacrifice it. If you were rich, do a lot of more stuff. Or if the first fruit of your offering or your grain came in, you had to go up to Jerusalem. And then they sang these songs of ascent. Have you heard of that? I thought, who was a saint? You know, a saint is just songs that you would sing, psalms. You can read them. There's about eight, I think. Um, that as they go up to Jerusalem, they had to sing these songs. They say, 
Some of you have heard those songs, you know. I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem was on top of the hill. So people were singing and it was a joyous occasion. When you brought a sacrifice, it wasn't like, oh, you know, poor me, poor Christian, I'm dying. You know, and then we sing dead, deader, dead stay, you know, and we throw, you know, you die, die. It wasn't, it was actually such a joyous occasion to go and make sacrifice. And it was built into the Jewish culture. Thanksgiving, you know. Enter his courts with thanksgiving in your heart. You, when you go to the temple, never could you go without thanksgiving, without a worship song. And yet in our culture, because we're consumers, and because we, we've learned, we grow up in that way, we naturally don't serve. And therefore we are naturally not worshippers. We think worship is the CD you put in the car or the Apple music you download. You say, like, oh, that's a nice worship song. Yeah, and we think like, oh, yeah, you know, that's great. But worship has really got nothing to do. Now we put people on the screen. We listen to them and say, oh, have you heard the new this? But that's not worship because we don't even know the fruit of the people leading that worship. Because we should acknowledge fruit in people's lives and say like, is this a servant of God? You know? And I remember I've got one of the worship people that I really revere is Jeremy Riddle. I'm, I met him one day, and I realized why God could use somebody like that. Because they were staying here in Stellenbosch, and we went, to, you know, they were at a conference, and I, I, they were practicing, and for four hours, I walked into the room where they were practicing, but they said, nobody can come in, lock the doors, nobody must see. So we walked in, and I realized, and there was this whole band that he brought with from America was on their knees worshiping God for three hours. Nobody seeing, no crowd, no nothing. And I said, okay, Lord, this is the real deal. And they, they actually sang for three hours one song, Let It Rain. I remember that Friday, it rained a record. <laughs> you know, rain, yeah, in Stellenbosch. It rained for about 48 hours nonstop. For three hours, they just said, Lord, let it rain. And then after they finished at the guest house and they were taken to the, um, what's that thing where the airplanes fly? The airport, the airport, when, it flew, when they went to the airport, they got everyone in the guest house together and all the ladies that cleaned at the guest house and said, hey, thank you for serving us, thank you for being a manager here. We wrote a song for you and then they sang a song of just thank you and blessing to the people that serve them in their guest house. And I said, okay, Lord, thank you. They're real worshipers. You know? Because worship isn't really about what we sing. It's about the service we bring. So I said we are, we are a church in crisis in the West because we're serving Jesus out of our comfort, not out of sacrifice, obedience, and faith. And so I'm not going to repeat all the other stuff we said. But we don't become sons through our serving. We are sons that serve. We are children of God that serve. Our identity is not in our serving. But at the root word of service is being a slave, a bond slave. Paul writes that and he says, I am a bond servant, a bond slave of Christ. And a slave is somebody that has given up their rights, their entitlement. So I know, and I'm, that's why I'm saying it's not your fault, but we have a massive crisis in the West. And it's being exposed. It's being exposed in all of our hearts and God is allowing pruning in the church. Why? Because God wants true worshipers. People that will worship in spirit and in truth.
and so we ended last week, if you were here, that what God wants is He wants a priesthood of believers. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 2 and 9, as we're talking about this service, this worship, is that God works in you, and part of His work in you is, is worship unto Him. Listen to this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 and 9. That you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious. So it says, when we come to Him, you're like a living stone. You're being built up, but you've been chosen by God. So be because God has chosen you, you are precious, and yes, wow, you're chosen by God. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Say a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. Say a holy priesthood. To do what? To? Thank you, Bernard, and thank you for the people on this side. To? We are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To do what? To? So Jesus Christ, if it's also in the scripture, okay. Then it goes on and we saw that, that, you know, Jesus will uh, allow us to be offended and you're going to get offended, especially in church. And when you get offended, your first reaction should be, Lord, where must I serve? When you see something wrong in the family of believers, then the first thing you must do is like, Lord, the reason why I'm seeing it is because you, sh you want me to serve there. You want me to fix it. Ooh, <laughs> especially in your own heart, eh? So, listen to this, verse 8. Talking about Jesus, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've lost the joy of our salvation because our culture have set us up to be entertained, to go for the next fix, to go for the nice thing there out there. And then we, we don't measure what is spiritual and what is rich. And so, so the sermon, this is where we start. We're going to look at a group of people in Scripture. And this is really the story of the people that God has called. God calls a chosen people. He calls a people out to himself. And then he begins to do some things in their life to show the world, hey, there is a greater place. There is somebody or someone we can worship. Because man has never been called to be worshipped. We should worship, never worship things. They're called idols. The moment when you and I are at the center, and that's what atheism is, is to worship yourself. You say, you're God. You know? So now it's more cooler for some people to say they're agnostic. But what happened with this group of people, Daniel and his friends? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Daniel and his friends were in Jerusalem, and then came the Babylonian captivity. So I'm going to give you some bit of a history lesson. Okay, so there were some things that challenged them. So they were taken a couple of years before Christ came, taken out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, Judah, into Babylon, under captivity. And so King Nebuchadnezzar chose these couple of men, really intellectual people, amazing people, the best of the best, and he did a couple of things with them. The first thing, he tried to change their culture, you know, and so I'm saying there's great things in our culture, but there's very bad things in our culture as well. And so he tried to sort of indoctrinate them in a new way of living and use them 
in his kingdom. So while Daniel was in this leadership, he actually served three different kings. Okay, the first two were Babylonian kings, and the last one was um, from all the way from Cyrus, but it was a Persian king. Different cultures, but he served them under different circumstances. And so Daniel had a couple of friends. And so what they did is after these people were chosen, three years, they went through this rigorous training program. And you had to do a lot of things to sort of qualify, and then you were the best of the best that would rule under King Nebuchadnezzar. And so what started, and the first challenge was, in this program is the king said, okay, eat this, eat the delicacies of the land, feed yourself, feed your flesh, just go for it. And Daniel and his friends said, uh-uh, no way. We're going to consecrate ourselves to God. We're not going to consecrate ourselves to food that have been offered to idols. So we're not going to do fleshly things as the world does all the time. We, we're going we're to not compromise just in the physical, and they ate vegetables, and that's where the Daniel fast come from. A lot of lot of stuff come out of that. Okay, and the second challenge came with Nebuchadnezzar, not just in the physical, but spiritually. He started to have these bad dreams, and now these guys were all wise men. So Nebuchadnezzar said, "If you can't interpret the dreams, I'm going to kill all of you." So even their own lives were under threat, under this place or position that they've been placed in. Okay, so are you with me? Wave at me if you're with me. Thank you very much. Okay, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little bit. So I, I trust you're focused and you're ready and you did have an afternoon nap so that you can be focused. Okay, go to the next slide. So you can miss the story of Daniel and his friends completely if you don't understand the names. At a stage, there was a big name change. Now the, I'm going to just read it. The Hebrew names which they received at the circumcision, they were born, had something of God or Yahweh or Yah in them. So just stop there for a moment. If you think the moment when God encountered Abram, it was A-B-R-A-M. God says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. So for a Jewish person, when God writes parts of his name into your name, it is powerful. It means God has made covenant with you. He's put his name into your name. Okay, and we're going to get back to that. So here was the name. Daniel meant God is my judge. And Aniah meant the grace of the Lord. Mishael meant he that is the strong God. Azariah, Azariah, the Lord is a help. To make them forget the God of their fathers, the guide of their youth, they gave them names that savor of the Chaldean idolatry. Belshazzar, this was the new names that was given to Daniel and his friends. Belshazzar signifies the keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel. Shadrach, the inspiration of the sun, which the Chaldeans worship. Meshach, of the goddess of Shach, under which name Venus was worshipped. Abednego, the servant of the shining fire, which they worshipped also. I, I wish I could have three hours to talk to you about this, but if you think of the fiery furnace was part of the worship of this God. So now their names changed and they came under bondage under the culture of the day. Because they were actually saying, okay, now your name is not Bernard anymore, it's sun worshipper. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, so we all know those names, but they actually had other names and scripture is very clear on that. We're going to get back to that. Are you still with me? Okay, thank you for enthusiasm. So let's go on. So... <clears throat> So we have this profound story of these guys now entering into this Babylonian captivity. They were like, 
stuck in a rut. The culture determined the, what they, their worship was about. There was so much pressure on them to conform to the patterns of this world. We're exactly there. Many people think they're Christian in their hearts or in their heads, but there's a disconnect many times. Because we don't realize that just reading your Bible doesn't mean that you're Christian. <laughs> because if you, if you don't come through redemption through your culture, you will be trapped. And people will give you names. Now that can happen through bad circumstances in your life. You're never going to do this. Or something that terrible or traumatic happened in your past. You know, the, the world and the devil wants to put a other identity on you that God puts on you. And it's so important that you learn what, what, what has God got to say about my life? doesn't matter what your past looked like. It doesn't matter what other people say. Always listen to God's opinion first. Okay? Let him tell you what to do. I remember going to, wanting to go to Iran. So the Lord one day, just two of us, we prayed and the Lord says, go to the nation of Iran. And so we started praying. Thought like, wow, until we started to Google and we realized like there's no way you can go to that nation, you know, there's just, you can't get a visa, you know, there's just no way. So we started to pray, second year we prayed, third year we prayed, fourth year we prayed, fifth year we prayed, sixth year we prayed, seventh year we prayed, the eighth year we got a visa, supernatural, okay. And so now we've geared up, we're going to fly. We're ready. We've booked our tickets. It's almost impossible. There are only two countries in the world that can actually get visas to, um, to Iran. And so we are excited. Everybody is like, especially the many Christians are ridiculing us and just saying, oh, you're going to die. You're going to die. You know, <laughs> just like, have you really prayed about this? Are you really sure God told you? you know? But anyway, so make a long story short, a week before the time, the visas were canceled. Goof. So now we're sitting, we're trying everything, it is crazy, we are discouraged, because God said we're going to go to Iran. And I remember the Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock, we were already like tense and we think like, oh, near, you know, this, this is it. We're going to all go home, go back and have a holiday. And the Lord challenged me, says, will you serve me where I call you to serve? And I thought, like, okay. But Lord, we've prayed, you know, and the visa didn't come through and whatever. So he says, phone Emirates. Oh, the first thing I asked, I asked John. I said, John, uh, just go check all the nations in Asia that you don't need a visa for. And he said, okay. So he Googled. And he said, okay, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, South Korea, those nations. I said, well, that looks amazing. Because, hey, we can go. And they thought, like, nah. <laughs> So 4 o'clock on Friday, Friday afternoon, I said, Lord, we're going to pray about it. We felt the peace. Said, and we phoned Emirates said, look here, this is probably the weirdest thing you've ever heard, but we want to change our tickets. We want to fly to Thailand and come back from South Korea uh, nine days later. The lady was quiet and she, she said, the, the weirdest thing, sir, I can actually help you. So within an hour, 180 rand per person later, we changed all of our tickets. The next morning, 5 o'clock, woof, we flew out to Bangkok. There we were. No arrangement. No. No, nothing. So here we arrive like spring chickens on 
Thailand, Bangkok airport, we have got no clue, no place to stay. As we're standing there and we look clueless, because like, hey. But in any case, here comes a lady walking up to us and says like, you need a place to stay tonight. Come with the train. We're going to go. And whoops, we found a place to stay. Connected, found out she was a Christian. They were praying. The Lord told them, goof, goof, goof. Long story short, a day later, we're in Cambodia, sitting in Siem Reap City, little place there, already out there, and uh, sitting, and the Lord says, just stay at this place where you're staying for three hours. So now we're just sitting on the couch, and we typically, like South Africans, we want to do stuff, you know, we want to go places, we want to like, ah, you know, and so the Lord says, sit still, yeah, three hours. After three hours, this Man and this lady walks into this little guest house place where we're sitting and he says, I had a dream last night. And I was traveling through the night to get to this guest house because the Lord showed me you're going to be here. We need to connect. So we started to talk, realized it's a pastor. Hallelujah, we connected. We've sent teams there for the last 15 years to Siem Reap City in Cambodia. Then we went from one nation to another. No plans, no agenda, no nothing. Just no control say Lord we want to serve you so if you want to use us use us Vietnam we went from one place to another I can tell you we're still good friends with all of those bosses all of those places and then a year later we got into Iran but nine years of just saying okay Lord we're willing to pray even if the breakthrough doesn't come on our agenda I can tell you many stories like that, but you know, sometimes we pray these token prayers and everything like, oh yeah, yeah, the Lord is not answering because he didn't come through to, for me yesterday. But anything, if you want to get gold, you need to dig deep. Anything worthy, there's a sacrifice involved, and that's part of service. There's a sacrifice serving God, and, and these men knew this. You know, um, in Daniel 3 comes this big challenge of these guys now, they had to bow. And there's a lot of bowing happening across the world, if you have not noticed. But we only, as Christians, we only bow our knee to one. You never not bow your knee to anyone else, any person, any movement, any nothing. You bow your knee only to Jesus. He's the only one worthy to bow to. Amen? Listen to what these three men said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is now after the decree has gone out, that nothing is going right for them. This, this is it, the fiery furnace, they're eating it up. But listen to their words. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace. Because they heated up this furnace, even the guys who threw in the stuff, burnt, and died. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But... If not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. A, a lot of people in the West think that there's not a spiritual world. In the last couple of years, they've set up ball, worship, idol, things just like in the Bible at many of the, or most of the major cities in the world. Paul worshipped temples. No, 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 but there's not a spiritual world, you know. I just want to tell you there's nothing new under the sun. 
But God is waiting for a generation that will say, Lord, whether you come through or whether you don't, we will worship you. We'll be servants of God. We'll be worshipers. And, and, and that, that is not, not how much you know the Bible or how many times you've read through the Bible or how many dead you've raised or whatever. It's in any case, God doing it. But um, it's not about that. That's not your spiritual... That, that doesn't qualify. It's whether you are a worshiper. And a, worship, a worshiper is somebody that's learned to, to whether there's breakthrough or not, prosperity or not, God is on the throne. And you're going you're to thank Him. You're going to worship Him. And, and so thankfulness is part of that worship. And this is what these guys had. Yeah? Remember, they're in a foreign country. They've got different names. They, they've got all the delicacies of the world next to them, but, but they're trapped. And they realize, like, uh -uh, there's only one God, and we will worship Him. And, and it's quite bold to say this to the king. But, but haven't you noticed that that's the story of the Bible? You get a Nehemiah that is in the king's palace and then he sees like Jerusalem is in ruins and he begins to, he gets out there, he reads the word and he begins to get troubled and he realizes like where we are is not where God has called us to be as these people. Then he sneaks out to Jerusalem with a couple of people, he looks, he sees the city is in ruins, he goes back to the king and says, I'm just a cupbearer, you know, but my people are, are in destruction and it's, there's just chaos and I need to rebuild that city and he weeps before God and then he goes back and then all hell breaks loose Sanballat, Tobiah, all those guys come against him, they lie, they do conspiracy theories against him everything possible and Nehemiah says to the people, you start building one sword, one truffle and you build and you fight and you be on the wall, every family in front of himself, beautiful picture of the priesthood of the modern day church Everyone doing the work of the ministry, not just the guy on TV, okay? Everyone fulfilling the gap. Everyone standing in the gap. Everyone praying, offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. It's not just a couple of songs we're singing to have a great event or to feel nice about, oh, you know, I like this Sean guy. You know, he's a bit short, but good looking. Oh, and he worships into the, you know. It's not about the songs. You're offering up. You're serving God by your worship. And that's what the modern day worship is getting completely wrong. There's no serving God. It's all about whether I feel good or whether I like the song. And it's really got nothing to do with that. Because when you pray, when you see God's face, that's when strongholds break. Hello. Am I talking to Christians here? Am I, am I too hard on us tonight? Maybe. Say ouch. Okay. But in any case. Um, so. So here these guys begin to cry out and they begin to say like, hey, whether God brings the breakthrough or not, not we, we really don't actually care because we're all going to serve him. And then the story begins to progress. Then you sort of don't hear a lot about his friends anymore. But then, then comes Daniel's turn because Daniel wasn't at the furnace. The three guys were there in the furnace and there was a fourth one that looked in the appearance as the son of God. That's what the king said walking around and they came out unharmed nothing happening to them because they were worshiping god in the middle of the furnace so then comes daniel's turn now daniel eventually in chapter six when we catch up he begins to be under this king darius now darius did these these weird people they call them satraps and governors so he raised up these people that would rule under him he was great with that 
And so that's why he can made Daniel and these guys continue to be in leadership, although they overpowered the Babylonian people. And yet Daniel, Daniel was focused. Listen to this. Verse 10 of Daniel 6 tells that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, now these guys all came against Daniel because they realized they have nothing against him, against his integrity, against the excellent spirit that he had. He knelt and prayed as he once a month did. As he sometimes once a year when he was in trouble did. He knelt and he prayed as he always had. Opened up the windows and he prayed to God. And then the most amazing things begin to happen. You read of, that's where we get this concept of a Daniel fast. You know, for 21 days. So Daniel was praying and for 21 days there was massive spiritual war. So eventually the archangel appears to him and he says to him, because of your prayers I came to break through to bring the message of God. Yeah, I resisted the prince of Persia. There was a massive fight because there were princes over the areas. And there was a fight, and the, the archangel, like really like movies, amazing, came and fought for 21 days. And eventually, as Daniel just persisted in prayers and serving God in his prayer life, eventually the archangel broke through and could bring the message of God. And he basically says, thank you, Daniel, for being faithful. Thank you for being a servant and not just thinking about yourself here. And then comes the breakthrough. Then you begin to read the most amazing stuff. If you go on from chapter 7 onwards, it is crazy. There's only two books in the Bible we talk about eschatology, okay? End time prophecies. God then begins to show Daniel things to come. The prophecy of the 70 weeks. The, that you will, you will spend days and months just reading through the book of Daniel. Some of it doesn't make sense at all. And there are 50 different interpretations of what it means. But it's only the book of Revelations and the book of Daniel that accurately prophesied the end times, even to what we're experiencing today. And it's so beautiful because Daniel knew, because of his focus of serving God and worshiping God, God could start to trust Daniel with revelation knowledge. And unfortunately today, I have to say it very respectfully, but God cannot trust a lot of Christians with what's on his heart for the nations. Because we're just focusing on ourselves. But Daniel had such a heart to just press into God. Just to keep on going. Just to say, hey. So let me, let me give you a couple of quick stuff. And then we're going to go back a little bit. Just some ideas. Real faith means obeying God even under difficult circumstances. Real faith. Because your faith is going to be tested. God is going to give you a word and you. I've told you the testimony of... When we went to Nepal, God said, go to Nepal, and then, phew, the moment when he said it, a civil war broke out in Nepal. For six months, they were fighting the Hindu king in Kathmandu against the rural areas. And the Lord says, go to Nepal, go pray around that palace in Kathmandu. We booked our tickets, and it was crazy. The most amazing thing is the Christians that came and said, you are crazy. You're going to die there. There's no way you can come. There's just like, no, they're going to cancel you in any case. And so for six months, day in and out, people were just like saying no. And we just said, well, God told us. He gave us that date, 18th of June. We must fly. And I think it was seven days later, we must come back. 
And all we're going to do, nothing else, just go into that, go around, the, go around that palace once every day, march around that whole area, and then the seventh day do it seven times. A week before the time, the war was at the height. <laughs> and we thought like, okay. But then you go through all of your doubt, eh? you just like, you feel like an unbelieving believer. Okay? So I'm, I'm not trying to say like we were these super spiritual faith people that were walking on clouds and the angel brought us tea every morning and said, oh, that's fine. Here's a biscuit too, you know, and all that stuff. I, I was like, oh, sweating for Jesus, you know, just like living waters from underneath my arms, you know. But so, so yeah, a week before we go, they announce a ceasefire. And the ceasefire starts the Thursday. We're flying out the Friday. Ceasefire for 10 days. One day before we go out, the ceasefire started. One day after we left, the ceasefire was lifted. Seven days we fly in, pray around the Hindu stuff and the kingdom stuff there. Today, a couple of years later, the fastest growing church in the world is in the nation of Nepal. Exactly what God told us. The most amazing thing is, later on, five years later, we found out there were other Christians from South Korea and from China that did exactly the same. They also marched through that exactly in the same week that we did. I just love it when God's plan comes together. <laughs> so just that little bit we fulfilled, but there were lots of other people praying for that nation and actually teams going there exactly the same time. We probably did the 9 a.m. slot, the Chinese did the 4 a.m. slot, you know, the South Koreans, did the, they, you know, they're much more diligent than us in the West. But, but I realized like, hey, I love it when God's plan comes together. Why? Because your faith is going to cost you something. It's going to be an obedient lifestyle. And it's not always going to make sense. Don't bug God about, Lord, show me what the outcome must be. Because sometimes you don't know. You could, probably maybe even in heaven we're going to only see a lot of stuff that, hey, I prayed for this person and, and I didn't see the immediate results. But then in heaven you realize, like, what did that prayer mean? Because your faith will be purified. You know, the only way they see if silver is pure is if you put silver in the fire. You heat up the fire and the moment when you see your own reflection in the silver, then you know the silver is pure. Then you can take it out. The Lord says he will purify us so we'll refine us fire and like silver and gold. Because in his house, there's vessels of silver and gold and honor and blessing. The modern day gospel doesn't touch on this because it's all about you and me and our next breakthrough. And how do we feel in our next nice worship song? But that's not the gospel, people. Sorry. It's a cultural gospel that makes you and me the center of our worship and the center of God's focus. Ooh. The second thing is God call, God's call to his people throughout the ages is to come out of the world and not to compromise. Come out. Come out from where you are, Abraham. Lord, where to? Just come. Come out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. What a name, you know. Come out. No, Lord, show me the ten-point plan. Uh, uh, just come out. I want to show you who I am. Moses, bring my people out. Come out. Repent. Turn my people would humble themselves, seek my face. 
The third thing is we serve worship God not for the breakthrough or His promise, but for who He is. We serve Him because He is God, not because we want something from Him. The fourth thing in this is with the big challenge for the church, the compromising church, the lukewarm church. We're all part of that. I'm part of that. We've lost an eternal focus. We've lost the ability to focus on things that really, really matter. And that's why I'm sharing these things about Daniel, because Daniel's greatest reward was, wasn't the breakthrough or not the breakthrough. The greatest thing that he partook of was that the fact that God would share his heart with him and give him a revelation knowledge. It was the ability to see, the ability to know who God is and sure that God is in control. And so our challenge is simply to say, okay, sure, and I'm not saying now stop your studies, you know, just go into Afghanistan and preach the gospel there and leave everything. It's just what you are doing is that worship to God. It doesn't mean what you feel or if you feel much more spiritual because that's the lie. The, the lie, especially in the charismatic church, is that just only some people are very spiritual because they can prophesy and cast out demons. No, no, everyone is spiritual because what you are doing, even in your work like Daniel did it excellently to God, was part of his worship. So whether you're playing rugby or whether you're playing hockey or whatever you do, just do everything unto God because you realize I'm here to serve him. And if I'm here to serve him while I'm playing rugby, it means like I'm going to look for opportunities to make his name great by serving people around me. And by looking at their needs and realizing like, wow, I must say no to my own needs and esteem others higher than myself. And that's what serving is about. Is you put somebody else's interest above your own. But it's not because you're trying to do a lot of stuff. Or you're trying to earn the favor of God or people. It's simply because you've met with Jesus, the humble king. And that's why humility and servanthood qualifies us as Christians to stand before God. So God says, I'm going to give you a lot of grace if you are humble, but the proud I will resist. Now, I always thought the pride, the proud fool is those like walk around and say I'm better than you. But pride is just when you've come to a place where you think that you've graduated from servanthood and worshiping God. So I see a lot of people and that, that sort of, that's just where I check. And I'm going to be very straightforward now. I just check as if it's just you and Jesus, how do you worship him? Because a lot of Christians are unfortunately in a straitjacket. They can't worship the Lord. Because the devil has made them focus just on themselves. But this is where the good news is. It's not about you. All God wants from you and me is to be a generation that cries out to Him. Say, so God, I, I, I don't want to be trapped to be a slave to this world. But you, I need your help. I need you to come and give me that. Just, just by surrendering, just by being very honest with him, he's going to set you free. So go back to those names again. Because this is the key. This is the only thing you remember of tonight. And the prayer I want you or encourage you to pray is say, God, write your name into mine. Those names <clears throat> that was given to those people that would cause great deliverance and eventually cause Daniel to be one of the greatest leaders 
that God used in revelation knowledge, even in, in the areas that he served, amazingly. They, he just advanced. He didn't compromise. He, he was just like up there. God gave him so much favor. But it wasn't because of their own effort. Because they realized who God is in their lives. So those names that was given to them, the Yah that wrote his name into them, they had something of God. The first thing there is, God is my judge. He's got the final say. If he's the judge of my life, he's just, he's fair, and there's a reward if I serve him. That's where the eternal focus comes in. Because, hey, then we can love our enemies. We can bless our enemies. Because, hey, we're not the judge anymore. Because we're standing before a right, righteous, honest, truthful judge. God is my judge. And whether he judges me now, or he judges the people that come against me now or later, that's his job. I'm not the judge. He's the judge. And he's righteous and fair. Wow. The grace of the Lord was the second name. Grace means enablement. God enables you to do what he's called you to do. Stop doing it in your own strength. Grace isn't a ticket for sinning. Grace is an enablement. It's the petrol in your petrol tank. You can't do it without the grace of God. <laughs> I've got grace. Lord, give me more grace. And that's why... God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So that's why just have a good position in your life. It's on your knees. You can't fall very far if you're on your knees. Okay, Standing people can fall very hard on their faces. But if you're on your knees, you can't fall very far. Okay, This is the tip. The third thing is, he is the strong God. And the fourth thing, the Lord is my help. It's beautiful when God begins to put his name on your name. It's not like, oh, I am pastor, anointed, reverend apostle, preacher of the second trinity of the second coming of Jesus Christ because I'm so anointed. They had a part of God's name, but the Bible doesn't say, and nobody knows what the part of their name was. It only shows to who God is. When God writes his calling on a generation and when he begins to say, I'm a covenant God, I'm going to do the promises, I'm going to, but it's going to cause a great dependency on your side. And that's why the Daniels, the Josephs, the Davids, the Esthers, the Deborahs could stand up with such a confidence, but such a humility. That's why Joseph at the end of his life, going to read it, Genesis, I think, 52, his own brothers that try to kill him, throw him in away and lie to their father. Eventually when Joseph could judge, Joseph, his own brothers were standing in front of him. He says, do you know what? What you meant for evil, God has turned it for good so that a whole nation can be saved. So then Joseph realized his life is just a tool. Why? Because, hey, I'm going to be faithful when I'm there in Potiphar's house and I'm being like attacked, I'm being ridiculed, and they come against me. I'm not going to compromise. Can you see the same patterns? 
but because God said something. And yes, Joseph was very arrogant because he shouldn't, I probably not have gone to tell his brothers, oh, you're all going to bow to me. You know, I had this dream <laughs> with this Technicolor dream coach, you know, and you're all going to bow to me. Uh, you're going to worship me. You know? <laughs> so, so he had a bit of an attitude problem, you know, and that's why he had to be a bit in prison for a while. But hey, nothing like good prison, just getting the attitude out of your life, okay? <laughs> so God sometimes deals with our attitudes on the way. But I want to encourage us. And I want to ask you, do you want to be part of that generation that will see the coming of Christ? Are you hungry enough to say, yo, when I look at all the stuff, all the entertainment, and yes, it's great, all the stuff that I'm doing and all of that stuff, but I realize that will never fulfill me. Nothing wrong with having a great job, doing it excellently, because these guys did it. Daniel and Joseph did it. But they realize their fulfillment is never in the degree they have, the places they go, the people they know, the breakthrough they see. Because they've allowed God to write his name into their names. And then God becomes the center of your life. It is so simple, it's, but it's the story of the Bible. It's the story of the book of life. It's a story of a group of people that God chose called the Jews. Then they would harden themselves. Then they would mix up with the idols of the world. <laughs> then they will be taken captive. Then God will raise up a prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and say, Come, come back to God where you are there in your slavery never been called to slave to the world you've been called to be servants of God and serve God come out big major prophets the minor prophets from Malachi and Micah and read the story of the Bible it's exactly the same the moment when the prosperity come they like oh mix up with the idols of the day and start to worship the, the breakthrough <laughs> and then they go back into captivity again and then God says come Come, you're my people. I'm a jealous God. Come, come, come back to me. And then they'll repent. But there's always a first generation that turns back. And unfortunately, we're trapped in our culture. We're trapped by entertainment. We're trapped by being busy and distracted and doing the next thing. Keeping our lives so busy. It's not with sin. It's just with things. And the next feel-good thing. So we need deliverance, but not through trying to do more. Because some of you have failed in trying to read your Bible. <laughs> some of you have failed to try and have a prayer life. It lasts for a week and then, oh, it falls apart. But it becomes different when you say, okay, God, give me grace. Be my judge. Be my helper. Be strong on my behalf when I don't feel strong. But release your grace over my life to do what you've called me to do. So, my name is Yusias Safas Leru. I'm very proud of the Safas part, which is servant of God. I'm here to serve God. I'm here 30 years later. I've seen people come and some people go. Every second week, I want to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like, Stellenbosch, ah, oh. The most proudful people, the most intellectual people, the most, you know, the first thing they ask you is, what did you study? 
I'm studying God. <laughs> Where did you work? Working for Jesus. What a privilege. Oh, what clique do you belong to? No. I've been to cliques the other day, but that was just the chemist, you know? Not, not really sure, but cliquish, divided. Stellenbosch is one of the most divided towns in the world. And yet, we will serve God here. Yet, we will worship Him here. Because, hey, it's a privilege. And it is so great. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's called you to proclaim His praises. First Peter, go back, go back, go back. Let's remind ourselves. Scripture, that's what Scripture says, okay? Not me, Scripture, okay? Next one, next one. Oh, you see? It's a test that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Okay, have you got that? So I want to encourage you today. But we need a lot of deliverance. Eh? We need to be delivered from entertainment and the next happy thing and the next busy thing. Because hey, it's not necessarily sin. But we're getting bored with God. And it will cause the church to go into great sleep and slavery. We've become slaves to this world. And we don't even know it. But there's one worshipping generation that's standing up and saying, Hey Lord, we want to see you. Come and write your name in our midst. And where two or three are gathered, He's there with us. And the Holy Spirit is going to do it if you're hungry enough. If you just want to be entertained, the Lord will never reject you. He will never, he will never turn His face from you. But there is a generation that says, Hey, hey. We want to see the tabernacle of, ja of, of David restored. We want, to, we want to be that Daniel and Joseph generation. We want to be those people that see the Maranatha, the coming of Christ, and be part of the bride that prepares herself. So will you stand with me this evening? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sin.